Welcome back to Talking PFAS podcast and if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes. I'm a journalist and your host, Kayleen Bell. This is the last episode for 2022. It is another interview from the International Cleanup Conference that was held in Adelaide in September. My guest today is Dr. Mark Bowman, who is a technical director working for GHD based in Sydney, Australia. He's worked on PFAS since 2005, helping to assess, clean up and manage risks associated with their use. Dr. Bowman is widely published on PFAS management and he also presented a session at the 2022 Cleanup Conference on emerging contaminants including PFAS, which is a key focus for the team at GHD. And their team had a strong presence at the Cleanup Conference with up to 18 people attending, including five from their Americas teams who are some of the leading people in North America dealing with PFAS and emerging contaminants. Dr. Bowman said GHD is championing PFAS response for clients in the Asia-Pacific Americas and Europe Middle East. The company has industry-leading PFAS response capabilities. He also states GHD is successfully delivering PFAS-contaminated site assessment, soil, water, sediment remediation, human health and ecological risk assessments, statutory audits, monitoring and strategic program management. GHD also assists clients transition away from PFAS, including advising on replacements and performing decontamination of plant and infrastructure. In today's episode, Dr. Bowman says the key takeaway is that it's fine to use chemicals that have been approved for commercial use, but we need to ensure that unlike some of the challenges with PFAS, where they have been dispersively released and haven't been controlled. How we use those chemicals is the key takeaway. We need to really not let those chemicals out into the environment in the first place. We don't want it in our drinking water. We don't want them in our food. We want to have safe, breathable air. And it is best to ensure that we are not releasing chemicals into areas that we are using for food and water. Now to today's chat with Mark. Hi Mark, it's nice to meet you at Cleanup Conference 2022 in Adelaide. Could you please introduce your full name and your experience with PFAS? Sure, thanks for having me Kelly. Dr Mark Bowman, I'm with GHD, I'm a technical director in our Sydney team in Australia and I've been working with PFAS since about 2004-2005, so a long history of experience and helping to solve a range of challenges and opportunities surrounding PFAS in the environment. And have you talked or are you talking about PFAS at the cleanup conference? It is the last day. Yes, it is. Uh, so look, I've presented on emerging contaminants, including PFAS, and that's certainly a, a key focus for the team at GHD. And obviously, as an industry, we're focused on providing real-world solutions to addressing a range of challenges surrounding PFAS in the environment. What sort of solutions or could you talk a little bit about the history or the origin of the solutions that GHD has been involved with since PFAS emerged? GHD's really been able to follow the whole transition and development of PFAS remediation technologies. We work with a range of different solutions that have been developed over a number of years and I think it's really exciting that there are a range of solutions that have now become viable and have been shown to be safe and effective and provide practical solutions within the affected areas so that we're able to clean up the soil, clean up the water and ensure that we're improving the condition of the land that's been affected by PFAS impacts. Are you aware of when GHD first started working on PFAS in Australia? 
GHD's was really one of the earliest companies to work on PFAS in Australia, so early to mid-2000s we've had work undertaken in Australia, and so that's really begun a long history of working and supporting our clients and communities with dealing with PFAS, both how to assess those areas that are affected, but working with communities to deliver clean-up and solutions that support them and the surrounding environment. And you've done a lot of work with Department of Defence as well, haven't you? Yes, GHD has been involved with Defence over many years, and equally I have a background in defence too, so I've also worked in that space as well. Can you say the other types of main clients that you work with? We work with a range of industries and sectors. I guess that's one of the challenges with PFAS is they're across a range of different products and industries, ranging from industrial applications through to developments and areas that are being improved, brownfield sites that are being cleaned up from prior industrial use. So there really are a diverse range of sources of PFAS, including in consumer products, which means there's a range of sectors that are affected, including things like the wastewater sector. And we've heard a lot about that this week here at CleanUp, where upcoming changes around the management of biosolids under the National Environment Management Plan for PFAS 3.0 is helping to provide additional guidance and management and helping to guide achieving sustainable outcomes in terms of the cleanup of PFAS, but also materials like biosolids that are often used beneficially to improve soil so that we can use those safely. So really significant developments. So when did you personally get interested in PFAS? I've had, I guess, a long association with PFAS and my studies were originally associated with remediation of contaminants in the environment. So from those early beginnings of getting an interest in improving environmental and health outcomes around different chemicals, and that really developed as it became clear that there was building consensus globally that there was challenges around PFAS through things like the Stockholm Convention for Persistent Organic Pollutants. It became clear that that was something we needed to pay more attention to globally and here in Australia. And because of that, through my work, we were able to start looking at, well, actually, how big a problem is it here in Australia? And from there, and through the work of a whole lot of dedicated people, there has been a range of, obviously, responses that have been put in place. And it just became clear that there was a range of challenges we needed to really help address. And it is a big challenge, not just in Australia, but everywhere. Are you aware of how many total contaminated sites with PFAS in Australia? I think it's a little hard to put an exact number on it. There's probably a lot of work that's still underway even today to really determine those areas that are affected. There's been some tremendous work from the state and territory EPAs who have been looking at catchment and whole of jurisdiction scale assessment to try and work out what background levels are, which helps give us a better picture of not just the sites that might have been investigated and we know have PFAS that have been detected, but it gives us a picture about the condition and health of a range of catchments and environment in Australia. We expect there'll be further sites found, but in terms of where that might lead, that's that's really what we're all collectively as an industry working towards is being able to more accurately assess those sites, but also then develop responses that help address the problems that are there. So no idea of a total number. I don't think it's been broken down yet. It's probably in the many hundreds is a um, likely range. At the moment, the only way I know to get that number is people could look at each individual EPA and search PFAS and then see what's been listed there. I think that's certainly one way to look at it. At GHD, we have a capability to work with some of our larger clients who have very large portfolios. And for them, we have very advanced data and analytic systems that we use to be able to track for 
for them and identify where there might be areas of interest on their estates and, and the land holdings they have. And so that gives them a clearer picture about where they might have issues that can then also be generally where there are challenges associated with fines of PFAS. They then become often discussed with the environment regulators and where necessary are raised with them. So there is a lot of ongoing work and some excellent tools available now with the contaminated sites registers available in most of the jurisdictions. And so that's a pretty routine part of things like planning for new developments where that data and information is now available. It includes PFAS? Yeah, with PFAS. That's available and that helps people understand what the opportunities and constraints might be around new development and where they might be near areas that have had PFAS or other chemical impacts. That's an important step forward that helps us manage the risk around new developments and improving safer outcomes, but really helping to manage any unintended consequences around development in areas that we might not have known that there are effects there. So that's important development in the ability to track what's in the environment, but also to respond to it. So what does GHD actually do for people that don't know? GHD is now a global company that works in a number of different countries across a range of engineering and environmental services. In terms of PFAS and contaminated lands, we have dedicated contamination assessment and remediation teams that work in many of the countries in which we have offices, of which there's quite a few. And here in Australia, we have teams in every state and territory that are working every day to help clients on the ground to assess and manage. Are you involved in the beginning or end stage or middle we at GHD deal with all of the issues associated with PFAS. So from working with clients to assess sites based on their history, how they've been used in the past, through to investigating their current state and condition to determine the nature and extent of any PFAS and other contaminants that might be present, through to then discussing with regulators and communities about what an appropriate response might be, working with auditors to determine that the outcomes we're proposing are safe and effective and will achieve effective endpoints that we're seeking to achieve with the remediation so that we protect people in the environment. And we also work in the remediation space where we help to oversee and the delivery of cleanup to ensure that the outcomes that we've agreed are achieved and that PFAS and other contaminants are safely remediated to a standard that means that the sites can be safely reused for whatever their intended purpose is but that also protects human health and the environment through that work. And that's a very rigorous process. We have fantastic technical experts who provide a broad range of capabilities. And we use people from across our businesses in the Americas and Europe as well, who have specialist expertise that we can bring to projects here in Australia. And equally, our people in Australia who have expertise. And in some cases, because we've been working with PFAS so long here in Australia, we have some globally recognised people that are working in the PFAS space. And they also work overseas with our teams there too to help them and really exchange information about the state of the art in terms of how to remediate and deal with legacy impacts from PFAS. You mentioned the NEMP. Are you guided by the NEMP in your practices? Yes, very much so. In each of the areas where we work, each of the jurisdictions, we apply all of the relevant legislative guidance and information and that's a uh, you know really an inherent part of the process. Following the appropriate guidelines and standards ensure that we're able to achieve safe and effective outcomes, measurable ones that are actually able to be quantified to ensure that they're achieving the outcomes that have been agreed with all of the stakeholders. Does GHD design any remediation or destruction technologies? We don't usually design 
technologies. Don't usually or not at all? Not really at all, no. We partner with other companies that provide those services generally, which gives us the flexibility to be able to provide the best solution with partners that we are confident in their abilities to work with us and achieve outcomes that we know will be safe and effective. And that's an important part to us within GHD that we're confident we can provide to clients the outcomes that they're looking for and that we know that there will be proven solutions that we've developed and been able to be involved in on a number of projects. Bringing that experience to bear is, is very important to us. We partner with experienced companies that have those solutions available. Mark, I'm just wondering, you work a lot with solutions, right, with remediation What do you think is working well when it comes to PFAS remediation? I think it's been exciting to see over the last five years in particular the rapid growth of proven technology and solutions that have been successfully trialled on a number of sites in Australia and overseas and that really is expanding the options available to us and to regulators and to the communities to have really much better outcomes than we were faced with you know over five to ten years ago where it was very early days, very little was understood about how to deal with PFAS in the environment, even to be able to test for them, whereas now we've got very good analytical capability to test for them, but we also have now the solutions that are able to remove PFAS from the soil, from the water and the sediment, so we can deal with those impacts and work with solutions that we know will achieve safe outcomes. So if I was to ask you, with PFAS in water, what is some of the best solutions or solutions that you are seeing really good results, methods that produce really good results when it comes to removing PFAS from water. Could you give me a top three or? Definitely. There's certainly some really promising technologies that are in use in Australia, including from Australian companies. Uh, We work closely with a number of different uh, water treatment providers And it's safe to say that from when those first efforts were rolled out here in Australia and elsewhere, there were some fairly simple technologies and solutions that were used that were effective, but nonetheless weren't really fully optimised. So we would often end up with a range of bio-waste products. So you're talking about filtration? Yeah, filtration that would, would produce a range of materials that would recover the PFAS out of the water, which means the water was safe and able to go, but we'd left with a byproduct that then was difficult to treat and required further steps. That's right, and it was put into storage containers until people could figure out what to do with it. That, that, that's right, and that's been the dilemma is what to do with it. And so since then, we've moved on and been able to try a range of different solutions that now don't have some of those same limitations and are now able to recover the PFAS and really uh, recovered in a concentrated form in such a way that it's then able to be safely dealt with in a much more cost-effective and safe way. So do you have a favourite? I certainly have a, a number of technologies that really are a favourite. I mean, you work with a range of clients, so obviously you're going to work with whatever method they've chosen, right, or requested. Uh, often that's a partnership, though. We help to select what the best technologies might be, and that can depend not just on the client, but on the site and the conditions and what the task at hand is. And so that does vary, and that's an important thing to note is there are different technologies needed for different solutions. We started with filtration. What is one of the gold standards that or most commonly used method to remove PFAS from water? Yes, there are definitely a number of technologies that now rely on treatment of the liquid without producing the same level of waste 
based products and that can be achieved in a number of different ways. There are separation techniques that recover the PFAS from the water using different processes to undertake that recovery, whether it's advanced membrane treatments or other types of electrochemical solutions that are applied and there's a range of proprietary different techniques that are used to achieve that. But those are the types of systems that have been shown to be safe and effective and achieve very good cleanup levels that meet the existing guidance values to ensure a protection of human health and the environment. Filtration is relying on picking up the particles that are in the water and the molecules and separating them out. Through GAC or resin? Yes, that's common, yes. So activated carbon or resin are some of the solutions that are effective at recovering water and those solutions have been in use since the 1950s and 60s for a range of other contaminants. So that's well understood. The downside is they do produce a large amount of material. More advanced solutions have the capability to react and break down the material and also to be regenerated as well. So that's an important further step. So there are now resins and modified nanomaterials that can be reactivated and reused. So they're not just good for like activated carbon, they can be reused and therefore the cost comes down but also the amount of waste that's produced as a byproduct is reduced as well. They're used in separation technology? Yes. Wouldn't they just get to a point where they're so saturated with PFAS? They're able to be regenerated, so they're reused, so they're loaded with PFAS as they separate it out of the water, but then once they're fully expended in terms of occupying as much PFAS as they can remove from the water, then they're able to be re-energised so that the PFAS is removed into a separate waste. A tinier portion of waste? Yes, tinier portion. This is one of the challenges with PFAS in the environment is when it's in a dispersed plume in the groundwater, that's the challenge. It's Because it's moving. Because it's moving and it's in large volumes and it's hard to get a hold of and it can be expensive to get a hold of at the scale that will give an effect, which is what we're looking for is we want to remove the mass of the PFAS that's in the ground. The problem has not really ever been with the ability to get the PFAS out of the water. The challenge is how to affordably capture the PFAS impacted water and treat it at a scale because there's some very large plumes that have been created on some sites. That's the challenge. There are definitely sites where it's very large areas have been affected. That's the dilemma is it's uh, very large areas to try and deal with. And the traditional approach with contamination is to focus on the areas where the chemicals have been spilt or disposed of because that's where you usually find the highest concentrations. They're the focus for cleanups but because some forms of PFAS are able to move long distances that's where it becomes more challenging because if the water is being taken and used often some distance away from where the contaminations occurred it can take a long time for it to reach there and when it does it's very hard to treat because it might be over a large area so that's the things we need to really focus on going forward is continuing to advance not just the technology but really how it's applied to ensure that where the water is out in the environment we're able to treat it effectively. What's a good solution for removing PFAS from soil in your opinion? GHD certainly worked with a range of different clients and our partners to trial a number of different technologies for soil. We've had really great success with both treatment of the soil in situ, so in the ground, where we're able to bind and make sure that the PFAS is no longer mobile and able to leach away into the environment, so that's been successful. We've also used a range of treatment technologies that recover the PFAS through different solutions, so there's been a range of successful work done with soil washing, where the material's excavated and washed and returned, through to a range of different thermal treatment solutions that can provide options for dealing with some types of contaminants. And with those thermal solutions, of course, we're talking 
talking about destruction technologies. Yes, in some cases, yeah, that's correct, yeah. Wouldn't all thermal destroy PFAS? In some cases, yes, it does. That can be a goal, but thermal destruction of PFAS usually occurs at very high temperatures, so often in excess of 12 to 1600 degrees Celsius. But there are a number of treatment technologies that can liberate PFAS and other contaminants from the soil without destroying it. So when you say thermal, you don't mean incineration? There's a difference between incineration and indirect heating, which is achieving a different effect. Incineration is as we would think of it's burning something to destroy it and you're left with an and produces an emission. Could you just explain the thermal technologies that you're talking about? Are you talking about incineration or something else? We're talking about something else. Thermal treatment is a process where the soils or other materials that have been contaminated with PFAS are able to be carefully managed and are treated such that we're able to safely and effectively treat the PFAS that might be contained in the soil, usually through indirect heating. Some do use direct heating, but it's not intending to produce an ash and a material that is lost through other burning means. You end up with a product at the other end, some of which are available in Australia that produce a material that's had the contaminants removed but is able to then be taken and used or disposed of depending on what else is present in the material. With some of the communities, they were always worried about what treatment methods were going to be used and would the treatments that were used create secondary toxins in their environment. So does GHD work very carefully to avoid creating nasty byproducts from the methods of remediation? Absolutely. We're very concerned that our responsibility is to improve situation in the communities and that's why there's very careful analysis around the options and that's why we believe by not having you know one or two technologies we might exclusively use we're able to use the most appropriate the safest solutions with our partners that we work with so that we can get the best solution needed for the project at hand and that is the best way to address unintended consequences like only having say one treatment solution that works well in one site but in another one might cause problems that we didn't know could be an issue so That's a way of ensuring that we know that we've got the right solution for the problem at hand and not fitting the wrong solution to a site. Often the challenge with a range of chemicals that are used in industry and agriculture and other sectors is really we've learnt from the PFAS experience that PFAS are used in a range of different applications and what everyone's really hoping for is that we'll be able to replace the use of those ones that we know are problematic. But really it's a key question for us is what are the alternate chemicals we should be using that are safer and effective that replace those and that's one of the areas of focus we have too is helping clients looking at what can they do to use safer chemicals that avoid some of the problems we know and have encountered with some of the PFAS that exist. I think there's really a expectation that if products are available commercially they've been through a range of assessments through the federal government which look at the safety from a human health and environment perspective about the use of chemicals there are very careful guidance though attached to how those chemicals should be used and that's the thing that needs to be really aligned is it's fine to use a chemical that's been approved for commercial use but we need to ensure that unlike some of the challenges with PFAS where they have been dispersively released haven't controlled how we've used those chemicals that's been a key takeaway we need to really not let those chemicals out into the environment in the first place it often doesn't matter what the chemical is we don't want it in our drinking water we don't want them in our food we want to have safe you know breathable air we want to have safe drinking water and it's best to ensure that we're not releasing chemicals into areas that we're using for food and water. That's a 
key takeaway. Excellent. Are you finding most clients, when they're choosing their remediation solution, how much does money motivate the solution? Or are people choosing the best option regardless of the cost? I think that's a careful part of the analysis is the financial equation is one of many things that are considered. That's an important consideration because it has to be affordable, but it has to, at the same time, achieve an outcome that the community is satisfied with and that the regulators are confident is protective of human health and the environment. And so there's always a careful balance and process, usually in Australia, of the auditors that are appointed by the EPAs to ensure rigour in the assessment and consideration of how the science that's used to underpin those decisions is respected and that is a key driver. And so the cost is a factor, but it's also the sustainability of the remediation solutions selected. And you want it to last and also be not creating other things like air emissions and greenhouse gases and a range of other problems that could potentially be associated with more expensive solutions. And so large-scale excavation, transport and disposal or treatment, if it's not providing an effective, safe outcome, could be a very expensive solution that creates more unintended impacts that are overall not worth the additional cost because they might be causing impacts to surrounding communities or not in fact mitigating the risks. Has GHD learnt a lot from this conference? GHD has really, we've had a large team at the conference of up to 18 people including five from our Americas teams which we've been able to share their expertise. They're some of the leading people in North America in dealing with PFAS and emerging contaminants and we've really also benefited from hearing from a range of experts from Australia and overseas who have presented. And that's been, a, I guess, a fantastic opportunity to reconnect in person after some time. Yes. And have all of those 18 spoken at the conference? I think a large number of them have, yeah. Over maybe 11 or 12 of them. So we've really had a, a strong presence and been you know, very keen to share our insights. So what's next for GHD with PFA? What's your top areas of focus? Our top three goals are to continue supporting a range of clients in cleaning up PFAS and helping manage the impacts that they're experiencing. We've been very successful in those endeavours. And for us, it's really helping to contribute to advancing the science, continuing to focus on risk communication and helping communities and regulators and industry understand the opportunities and constraints around PFAS, but more importantly, how to go about minimising the potential for environmental release of contaminants, but also how we deal with them when that's occurred in the past and helping to roll out those solutions. Anything else that you want to add, Mark? It was a good discussion. It's great to get GHD in the podcast. I've been trying for many, many years to get GHD to talk to me, believe it or not. It's nice that, uh, yeah, there's more transparency because I think it's needed for such a complex issue as PFAS. Anything else you want to add? Yes, well, look, thanks for the opportunity to come and speak with you and um, really... GHD is, is pleased to be supporting both our communities here in Australia and overseas in responding to PFAS. We have, we've really got a lot of expertise and capability to support those communities that have been affected and we really uh, you know, have got a range of promising expertise and people that can assist with those who have been affected and I think we're seeing some really outstanding results in being able to help those people and solve what's a very large challenge globally and we, we look forward to helping those people going forward. And you've got the capability for the increased workload? We do. Uh, GHD has a lot of expertise in many countries. We have many hundreds of people working in contaminated sites and so yeah it really is a um, an area of key focus for us and an important part of our work. All right well thank you very much Mark for being a guest on Talking PFAS podcast at the conference. Go and enjoy your afternoon Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which is the final one for 2022. I do have two more interviews from Clean Up Conference in Adelaide, and I'll put those up sometime in January. But the podcast is officially on a break while I gather content for the next season. It should be returning around the end of March this year. The next episode that I will be releasing in January is a interview with Dr. Scott Coffin, who is a research scientist with the California State Water Resources Control Board. This is the agency in California that governs the drinking water and all other water resources. He was an invited speaker at the cleanup conference, mostly talking about microplastics, but also talking about what they are doing in California for PFAS monitoring and he also gave a workshop presentation about the governance of PFAS in general. So I will be bringing you that one in January. Please do share this podcast episode today in its entirety. But remember, all information in today's podcast is copyright. Please contact me for any reuse, republishing permissions at talkingpfas at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.